You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Tim Moser, your host here for Real Presence Live. We'd like to thank Angela Wambach. She was here for our first half hour and talking about the Women's Care Center and the great things going on there. So uh, check it out. Go to their website and uh, support them in any way that you can. Prayers number one. And speaking of pro-life, and speaking of people who have a passion for life and have for a long time, even though she's so very young, Rochelle Savage. Welcome, Rochelle. Thank you, Tim. It's good to be here. Yes. Now, a lot of our listeners, of course, will know that you were the longtime director of the Respect Life office and uh, whose shoes I have yet to fill even halfway. Uh, I just started in October, and just on a little personal note, I want to thank Rochelle right here in front of all of you because she has been so helpful in my transition to this position. Just immensely helpful. So thank you so much, Rochelle, for that. Well, thank you, Tim. It's an honor for me to pass the banner on to someone so capable of, uh, at this time, we really needed a Respect Life Director in the office, and praise God. <laughs> amen, amen. Make, may God continue to work, right? And he will, he will, exactly. Well, Rochelle, for those that don't know, why don't you give yourself, give the listeners a little background about how you got into pro-life work and then your time at the diocese. Oh, how I got into pro-life work, that was a long time ago. Um, I'm not sure. It, it began really at the parish level mm-hmm. where I... Um, got involved with the different pro-life movements and activities that were taking place in Fargo at the time and uh, involved with Charlene Cromit, who was the Mm. Respect Life Director Mm -hmm. for the diocese at that time and started working on a few things with her. And she had become ill and needed to retire from her position, so they offered it to me. And it was um, really the hand of God at work in all of that, and a growing experience for me. I knew nothing about being a Respect Life director. <laughs> I or... can relate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I really grew with the office over the years, and uh, it was a learning experience by all means, and uh, just a great blessing in my life. You know, it, it's amazing, Rochelle, how God calls people to... The positions and the places, you know, as 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 he needs them, you know. How many years were you the director at Fargo? About uh, twenty five years. My goodness, yeah. that is amazing. Well, you know, I I always remember just if there was anything going on about life, you know, you were always there taking the lead. And one thing I'm really learning a lot uh, from you, you know, obviously you have a good knowledge too, and that's probably my strength is knowledge, you know, and education. But you have such a pastoral heart. I mean, I just one of the first things you did when, when you came in, you know, said, oh, I sent these packets, you know, for people who have uh, um, had some sudden change or a sudden loss in their life. You know, I thought, I never thought of that. You know, so maybe talk a little bit about how we have to obviously be, you know, speaking the truth of pro-life and all this kind of stuff, but also the pastoral side, the, the personal care side. I think as I grew into the office, that was something that was a need um, that was growing within the church itself. Mm -hmm. At the time, back in the 1990s, there was a lot of emphasis on public policy, and that's where a lot of the pro-life work was being done, was that in that area. Of course, our Catholic Conference does the public policy work in our state and for our diocese, and so it gave the opportunity to look towards education and pastoral care. And I think that's really where the church was moving mm-hmm. at the time as well, because you see 
post-abortion ministries coming to the forefront and the need to really bring healing to the people who have had abortion experiences, but also this outreach. Angie's a perfect example of that, of mm-hmm, the yeah. need to meet women where they're at to support them, but also to provide them with resources so that they can choose life for their little baby. And so we saw pregnancy help centers growing in the state. Granted, um, the Respect Life Office wasn't so much involved with that. But at the parish level, how do we begin to bring education into the parish to provide parishes with resources to educate the youth and adults, but also to meet these pastoral needs that people were encountering, um, infant loss, early infant loss, miscarriages. Those are all areas of pro-life and respecting life, even at this time of great loss. End-of-life issues, oh my gosh. Um, You know, I think as we continue to go on, we're going to see a great need for education in the area of of end-of-life issues. And, um, you know, certainly ethics, the whole area Mm -hmm. of medical ethics, education, um, especially at the high school level, I think, to begin to form young people before they go out into the world to understand the whole area of life and ethics. Yeah, so true. We're talking with Rochelle Savage, a longtime, 25-year director of the Respect Life Office, although I can't imagine you were there that long, but I guess you were. Looking yes, so, I was. <laughs> look, yeah, looking so young and still yeah. so happy. And oh, you have a great yeah. joy about you, Rochelle. You know, yeah. a couple things you said that really, really struck me. I can imagine in your 25 years there, you saw so many changes technologically as far as, you know, uh, you know the, the, the um, beginning of life issues, right? Uh, and then the end of life issues, what's really coming now, right? The whole, you know, push for the assisted suicide, you know, you, we know how it's all going, right? And of course, with the economic component, right? You're, you're too expensive, you know? I mean, you can't put a value on human life. When we see all these things coming together, the economics, the morality, the ethics you were talking about, maybe just talk a little bit about that change, you know, because when you first started, I suppose there were some procreative technologies, but it wasn't probably as prevalent as they are now, at least people just kind of taking it for granted that, hey, we're just going to do this. Well, it wasn't as prevalent because medical science still, I think in the 70s, 80s, had this moral understanding of mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. I like that, yep. And that um, human life was not something that you use Mm-hmm. for the good of another person, that human life is always to be respected. And yet, um, over time, the ethics with embryonic stem cell research and the ability to use the human person for um, meeting a need, some other need mm-hmm. in society, and we see that um, here again. Questions arise over the COVID vaccine, right. and it's something that's really very touching every human life now um, because of that vaccine. And and yet the church has these beautiful ethics mm-hmm. to guide and lead us in these issues that are very um, important for us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing, one practical example I guess I could use, we probably, I know several people who, and, and you know, good loving people, you know, who, well, let's put the principle out there. Children are a gift and not a right. You know, and so, it, it, but, but when you see, uh, for instance, a friend says, oh, you know, I had this friend, you know, they had an artificial reproductive technique that, that didn't assist 
the, the marital act, but replaced it, you know? So in other words, it, it took that loving act out of it, right? That a husband that the church always teaches, right? It's so important because, why? Because the dignity of the human person demands that they be conceived in a singular act of love. That We deserve that love, right? But when people see, well, but they wanted a child, right? So they did this and they, they reduced, you know, selective reduction of the embryos, you know, basically killed some unborn. And then you have this child. And so it's so, when you see the end result, Many people just kind of lose sight of how it was done, right? Almost like the end justifies the means, although they don't mean it that way. But maybe talk to us. Go, go ahead, Jill. Well, I think for people, this whole desire to have a child is a great good. Absolutely. And it's a desire that God places in husband and wife as a means, well, to continue the human race, mm -hmm. but also to bring great good and fruitfulness into their married life. And so when the ethics of all of this become involved in it, and now we can create human life in a laboratory, it becomes confused. Mm -hmm. And whenever things become confused and complicated, you know that the hand of God is no longer at work in that. Mm -hmm. um, and so this great good of desiring human life um, becomes... confused and that human life should come from a human act mm -hmm. of love. Mm -hmm. I think in our society, all of that's been lost. Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the understanding of our own human sexuality and that it's not something for a recreation. Right. Yeah, so true. And I like how you put that. We always need to frame all of this in almost everything really that has been distorted by the evil one is a, a real and true good placed upon our heart by God. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. And, and we, that's why we have to make sure we understand how things are going so we can really and truly fulfill it in a loving way. You know, uh, go ahead. Yeah, and the church gives us these principles um, that are always sure and true to follow, yep. to guide us and to lead us in um, how we should act. And... Because infertility is a great suffering for couples. There is no doubt about yeah. that. And yet, the church is there to guide us and direct us in that suffering. Yeah, amen, amen. You know, my, my wife and I experienced a couple of miscarriages. You know, I mean, I, I can speak from experience that desire to procreate for human life is, is enormous, right? And there's a great sadness when that happens. At the same time, it always brings me back to something that we all know, our ultimate identity. We are children of God. So even now, every child we have, is, this is your child, Lord. You know, yes, you've given them to me to steward, to love, right? You know, and to guide, but it's your child, you know? And when I let go of that and just said, okay, Lord, it's all yours, that had huge, profound, positive effects for me and my wife. So, well, Rochelle, we're talking with Rochelle Savage here about life. And Rochelle, we could do this all day. I love this. This is awesome. But one other thing I want to make sure we get to, for many, many years, you directed a pro-life pilgrimages to Washington, D.C. for those National March for Life. Tell us a little about how, about how that pilgrimage came about and just some of the reasons it was so important to continue that. Well, we made our first pilgrimage, a diocesan pilgrimage, back in 1998. Father Wilhelm had been uh, leading some pilgrimages before that, but we wanted to bring it to the diocesan level and open it up to youth from all across our diocese. So that was really the beginning of it. 
And every year uh, we continued with that journey. It was um, not only were we going to the March for Life, but we were wanted to introduce the young people who were traveling with us to real history of our nation, um, what went on with slavery, this whole history of human dignity and our need to respect the dignity of every human person. And so it has, the pilgrimage has different facets to it. We were able, um, God just gave us this gift out of, I don't know, somewhere <laughs> with the Franciscan monastery, and we really established this beautiful relationship with them that still continues, that they allow us to stay there um, in one of the facilities that they have. We have access to their church to adoration at night, and just this place where we can bring these young people together to form them, educate them, let them build some good relationships among each other. So, yes, the high point of the pilgrimage is attending the March for Life, but there's all these other things that are taking place at the same time as always, on pilgrimage. Right, exactly. And I, I like that word, pilgrimage, because it is it is a pilgrimage. I mean, you have a spiritual director, there's mass, like you said, there's adoration, it's based in prayer. You uh, go to, I believe, the Holocaust Museum to see that. Yes, and you, so and, that's another part of it as well. Mm -hmm. So like you said, respecting all life. Then you go out to like a Civil War one as well. We go up to Gettysburg. Mm -hmm. um, so in Emmitsburg is the Mother Seton Shrine. Okay, sure. And so we'll stop there. Then we go up to Gettysburg, and they have this absolutely fantastic National Museum. And to be able to take the kids out on the battlefields and just to begin to understand what the Civil War was all about, mm -hmm. that whole part of our American history. And again, the Holocaust Museum, and then uh, the day before we leave, we have the March for Life. And so we have this growing understanding of what's going on in America with human life and how we are a people of life and for life. We really are a people of life and for life here in America. Yeah, absolutely so. And I'm going to have the honor of, uh, you know, God willing, that 2022, yes. being able to uh, kind of lead that pilgrimage. And I can tell you already, listeners, Rochelle and I have already talked about it. She sat down and given me <laughs> the great, great, you know, the, the schedule. I, again, I appreciate that, Rochelle, because you've thought about this, you've prayed about it, you've refined it. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm looking forward to doing it. I, I see the big picture and it's just awesome. It's just it awesome. Is. It is. It's great. Journey. Well, another thing we should touch on, of course, this is January. And, of course, obviously, in a very, very important Respect Life, Pro-Life Month. And there's a few things we can talk about for, for sure. Let's first talk about uh, this prayer vigil for life. I know you've done that for many years. Tell our listeners a little bit about it and then also the plans for this year. So January 22nd, the Cathedral of St. Mary's is hosting a prayer for forgiveness and healing. Because of January 22nd, it's a day set aside in the church for to pray for the legal protection of unborn children. It's actually in the liturgical calendar and something that is to be observed in the daily Mass that day. And by all people, I, we are all called to, in some way, sacrifice for the protection of, the legal protection of unborn life in our nation. And last year, Monsignor Gehring um, had asked that the cathedral do something um, mm -hmm. And 
Among the resources that's put out by the USCCB is this prayer service for healing and forgiveness. And so we did it last year, and we're going to do it again this year. It's not a long prayer service. It only takes about a half an hour. But the purpose of it is to, once again, call in prayer upon our Heavenly Father to bring healing and forgiveness for this travesty of abortion that is upon our nation and for everyone who has in any way been touched by the abortion experience. I think it's important for us, especially to in this year, um, just the crisis that our nation is in with, with the pandemic. Um, what's, what happened last Wednesday in Washington, D.C., we're in a crisis but at the same time, this battle for the unborn child is something that we can't forget, yeah. lest we forget. So true. We, we need to come together in prayer on January 22nd. Mm-hmm. And following that, the following weekend, I believe, there's also a, 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 a vigil, right? Where we, we start with uh, an evening um, so that's in Washington, D.C. Okay, yes. That that's taking right. place. Mm-hmm. And the USCCB has, um, as part of their pro-life um, plan, has always held the vigil mass for life the night before the March for Life mm-hmm. in Washington, yep. D.C. And really, that was always the highlight of the pilgrimage sure. for me, yep. um, even over the march, was to be able to attend this beautiful Mass for Life um, at the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. It was really an experience of the Universal Church. Mm. And yeah, thousands uh, gathered, and bishops, yes, and you know, cardinals, just, yes, and priests, wow. and seminarians, exactly. and deacons, and the laity, and the young people. Just a phenomenal experience. And uh, that will be taking place again this year, but only virtually. Right. Um, people can take part in that by watching it. Exactly. Um, Well, Rochelle, we'd like to thank you for your time here today. It's it's so good just to hear you speak and just from the heart about these things. And uh, thank you so much for your dedication to life and your dedication to people and really helping them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tim. That's Rochelle Savage. We'll have her back on too. We can't get rid of her that easily. (laughs) Thanks again so much, Rochelle. When we come back, I'm going to share a little story with... I had with my sister, the sister, just two days ago. You're listening to Real Presence Live. We'll be back right after this. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. <laughs> 